Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does on the occasions on which we podcast, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. End of line. Thank you very much for listening. And Oh. No. Oh, you confused go- me. Emily is going to write in. She hasn't written in about that in a long time. That's true. Well, we haven't done it in a long time. So uh, today's episode comes to us as a, a result of many, many listener mails. And so I'm not going to uh, read them all. But uh, to Kara, Ryan, and Justin in particular, and I'm sure there were more, but those were the three who popped up immediately, um, this podcast is for you. All of you guys wanted to know how hard drives or hard disks work. So we're going to talk a bit about hard drives and not just uh, not just the, the old-fashioned hard drives, but the newfangled solid-state devices as well. Yeah, and throw in some, uh, some other storage media, I think. Oh, okay. So I've got, uh, I've got so a little like bit on some others. Notepads and... Yes, exactly. Stone tablets. <laughs> Stone tablets. So let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about the uh, anatomy of a hard drive. Oh, okay. I, I was going to start out with a little history. Oh, that is even better. 
begin with your history, Professor Paulette. <laughs> um, I, I'll tell you a, a little bit of a story. My first computer was an Amiga 1000, which I got in the mid-1980s, and it had no hard drive whatsoever. My Apple IIe also had no hard drive. So you might think that hard drives, which are now you know ubiquitous, they're in almost anything, including, you know, uh, tablets and you know netbooks and things that that are very small. Uh, you might think, well, hey, you know these have been around for a very short time. Not the truth. Oh, weird! I was just thinking they were amphibious. So anyway, <laughs> amphibious. Isn't that what you said? No, I wasn't listening. Okay, so no, uh, hard drives actually have been with us since the 1950s. Wow! Except they were very very large. Um, and, uh, and it's apparently up to uh, 20 inches in diameter. And they would hold just a few megabytes, which is very much like the first hard drive I had when my second computer, the Amiga 3000, had. Well, actually still has a hard drive that will hold, uh, you know, just 40 megabytes. Wow. Which is very small. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, but these original disks were called uh, fixed disks. Or um, if you are, were an IBM customer, you might know them as Winchesters. Um, and basically, the reason they're called hard hard disks or hard drives is because this is in contrast to floppy disks, which are you know made of a magnetic storage medium, very much like uh, tape, right? Know, that you might see in a cassette tape or an eight-track tape or a videotape, right? Um, but uh, hard drives themselves, getting into your uh, into your anatomy uh, lecture on uh, hard disks here. Sure. Um, yeah, they're they're actually not that dissimilar because hard drives are also uh, magnetic media. Right, but they are glass or aluminum or some form of uh, harder material. It's not like that filmy, flimsy stuff that you would see in a cassette tape. Right. So that's where the hard drive or hard disk comes from. We're talking about it's stored on a medium that is uh, that's that's not this little flimsy material. So mm-hmm. that, that's another thing we should talk about just very quickly since we're talking about – you mentioned floppy disks, which some of our listeners may be thinking, what? I've never really heard of a not. floppy disk. Some of our listeners are very young and I have know. not been around since floppy disks kind of died. But I like to think of the tech stuff audience as being you know, fairly technolo- technologically savvy. You know, Even our younger listeners probably know what a floppy disk Actually, is. Actually, some of our younger listeners are probably more savvy than we are. That's but true. The, so uh, the reason why we call them floppy disks is because the magnetic medium upon which the data is stored is, is flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, the disk itself may or may not be semi-flexible. So the old five and a quarter inch discs, for example, they had a very uh, a thin protective coating, mm-hmm. plastic coating, uh, and you could uh, they they were flexible. You weren't supposed to bend them because it would screw it up, but you could. <laughs> yeah, as, as a matter of fact, uh, the hard disk predates the floppy disk. Yes, because uh, Alan Shugart at IBM in 1967, uh, you know, came up with an eight inch. Uh, floppy disk, um, and basically it gradually moved to a smaller disk, five and a quarter inches, um, and, and that debuted in, in August 1981. Yep. Um, problem with that particular model was that uh, it had a uh, part of the media was exposed. Yes. So you could you could you know poke it with your finger or you know a needle or your cat could throw up on it, uh, and that's a problem because all three all, of those things happened to me. Yeah. In the same day, it was a <laughs> bad day. Well, poking it. With your finger is not such a problem necessarily as the other two. Yes. But yeah, that's the thing. If you crease it or something happens to damage that material, 
then it makes it very difficult to read. And when they uh, they came out with a three and a half inch floppy disk, which is in some use still. Yeah, um, Japan just stopped supporting it. Yeah, like this year, 2010. Oh, there's some in the supply closet here. Yeah, there's nothing I know of in the office that can run one. No, no, I've, I've seen a couple of older machines with it on there. Oh my gosh, they have dust I, on them. I pity those people who um, have to use those machines. But uh, but no, the, the thing is, when when those came out, they uh, they put a little metal slide so that the computer, when you would insert it, it would the computer would move the slide over and be able to read and write information to that floppy disk. And they also had a harder plastic coating so that oh, yes. they, you you wouldn't fold a three and a half inch disk. Yeah, and uh, since we're into the alternative media thing, uh, I will I will say you know as as time went on uh, and other formats came out, uh, iOmega's Zip Drive and Jazz Drive, uh, both removable storage media like the floppy disk, just at a higher density, you can hold uh, you know a, a gigabyte or two on some of the, the heavier uh, disks. But they're essentially the same thing, you know, removable media. Now I remember uh, uh, you know a couple other. Storage media that were like that, that were that came in a case like that, but were uh, optical discs. But those really fell out of favor, I think, with the advent of broadband connections and really large hard drives. Right. So, getting back to the whole hard drive issue and uh, and the fact that we're talking about these other forms of storage, uh, as we were mentioning. They were all magnetic forms of storage. Yes. Just like uh, cassettes. In fact, some of the early computers used cassettes rather than disks. But, uh, and, and that does also mean that's, that, too. that would also be why you did not want to have your storage medium next to any kind of magnet. Yes. Because it would, could screw up your, your, your data. I mean, it would erase essentially your data because it would everything would align to the magnetic field of the magnet, and you would no longer have that storage. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's part of erasing the information. Yeah, magnetizing. Know. So, so yeah, magnets plus computers equals bad. Right. So you're so in all these cases, the information is stored through uh, a magnetic uh, uh, medium. So mm-hmm. you've got you've got the disk. Uh, and within a hard disk, you have uh, we call them platters. The, yes. the disks are actually platters, and there may there's usually multiple platters per hard drive. Right. It's not just one disk sitting inside a little metal box. If you were to ever look at a hard drive, it does tend to look like a little metal box. Usually, there are several platters within that, and so think of the platters as kind of like a uh, oh, I was going to say a record player, but what? Who am I kidding? Smoke gets in your eyes. Yeah, that kid, was a record by those, the platters. Kids, no, please. Those, the kids. I'm saying the kids are not going to know if I say record player. Um, think of a you CD player that can hold several CDs. They still make CDs, right? Yeah. I haven't listened to one in ages. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, another thing to mention, if you want to uh, take apart a hard drive to look at this, do it with a drive that you are no longer ever going to use for anything. Yeah, because it'll ruin it. Because it will ruin it. But if you, if you take apart a hard drive that is busted and will no longer be used for anything. You will see that there are are silver platters in there. Um, in some cases, there are multiple platters. Right, like that's what I was mentioning. They're, you know, they'll, like they'll, they'll be they're layered. Stacked. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and on each stack, there's going to be a little uh, arm that can that'll have the device that reads and writes data to those discs. Now, here's the difference between the the platters and say the cassette medium mm-hmm. uh, the devi- device that reads and writes data does not actually make contact with the disk 
You do not want that to happen. No, if you hear a clicking noise from your hard drive, that probably means that the arm, the uh, read-write arm, is is actually making contact with the platter, which means it's damaging the hard drive, and you should stop using it and get it repaired as soon as you can, because otherwise what's going to happen is it's going to corrupt the data on that disk, or it's going to ruin the hard drive, and you won't be able to access that information. Right. That's called a hard drive crash. Yeah, and it's bad. Um, head crash, actually. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, each one of the platters has one of these arms, or sometimes multiple arms, more than one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the arms can move uh, to, toward the center and toward the edge of the disk uh, dozens of times per second to try and find the data. And the data is stored, if you, were to, if you were to look at a platter and you were to be able to see the way data is stored, like you somehow were able to don magic glasses and you looked at the platter and like, oh, look at that, you would see that the information is, uh, is organized within concentric circles from the edge of the, uh, the, the platter all the way into the center. So right. you just think of those concentric circles. Now, those are tracks, they would also be organized in wedges, so sort of like a pie. Mm-hmm. Pie. Oh, and pie the, is back. Those wedges are sectors. Yes. So data is is always going to be found within a track and a sector, and the computer has to keep track of which sectors and tracks have the data where. You know, that's when it's when your computer is searching for stuff, it's going through all the different sectors and tracks trying to find the the correct information. Right. Um and each track uh within a sector can only hold a certain amount of data. Mm-hmm. It's not like you could say like, well I've got this two gigabyte file, I want it all to be stored right here on this part of this platter. That's not the way it works. Good luck. Yeah. It's going to break that up uh, that file up into segments and store it on various uh, tracks in various seg- sectors, and it's not even necessarily going to be on the same platter. Yeah, it could be it could be uh, uh, across several platters, depending upon how your data is stored. And uh, as this happens, as as you go on filling up a hard drive, uh, these files can get more and more fragmented mm-hmm. because there are fewer. Sectors that have an uninterrupted, you know, uh, series that you could store all the information right there, so it's all within the same general area. That's more, why you want to defrag your hard drive every now and then. Yeah, the more fragmented your your data get, uh, it makes it that much more difficult for your computer to find all the pieces of a file, and that's going to slow down your computing time. So it's right. a good idea to keep everything nicely organized so that uh, it, it speeds you up and, and makes it uh, a little less frustrating to use your computer on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I made this this uh, comparison in a previous podcast, but so you might remember it, but think of your data, think of a hard drive as like a, um, uh, a multi-story building. Ah, yes. And and your data is stored in boxes, but the boxes are not all in the same room on the same floor. Some of your boxes are on the top floor, some of them are in several rooms in the middle, and then you've got one in the basement. That's kind of the way your hard drive is working. That's the way it might store a file. The the bits of the file might be in various sections of the different platters. Mm-hmm. Now, these platters are spinning really, really fast, and the, the arms are moving very, very quickly, so... Even though it sounds like this is a real mishmash way of doing it, it doesn't take 
relatively that long for a computer to find the information. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does take longer as you use the computer. That's what we were talking about with the whole fragment, defragment thing. You may notice as your computer ages that it takes longer for you to pull certain kinds of files and programs up. And again, defragging your hard drive can sometimes help uh, fix that a little bit. Yeah, it's not guaranteed to... Uh to increase your computing speed a thousandfold or anything like that, but it will uh, perk things up a, a bit. Yeah, it's really um, what we're talking about here is seek time. It, right. It'll mm-hmm. decrease the amount of time it takes to seek out that data. Uh, it's not going to make your processor faster. It's just going to make it easier for the computer to find the information that you want. Um, there's another speed of information transfer that we have to talk about, which is called the data rate. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the speed at which the hard drive is able to deliver information to your computer's processor. Yep. Um, And those speeds vary depending upon what kind of hard drive and and microprocessor you have. Yeah, uh, that information is uh, useful when you're looking for a hard drive, if you're interested in buying a new drive for your computer. Um, Also, the uh, speed at which the, uh, the platters spin... A lot yeah. of people prefer a faster speed. Um, the trouble is that uh, once you get into that and larger drive sizes, you're starting to talk about more money. Yes. Um, you know, but for things that are, you know, speed oriented, like, for example, I don't know, gaming, you right. probably want a faster hard drive. Or capturing lots and lots of video. Yes. If you're mm-hmm. capturing, let's say you want to capture high definition video, you've shot, you, you've shot a film. An HD film. Right. And you want to be able to capture that video onto your computer. You're going to want a hard drive that spins very quickly, that has a very big capacity because uh, HD footage takes up a huge amount of data space. And you want to be able to transfer the information as quickly as possible. So uh, to, to just to speed up the whole capturing uh, sequence, because that takes a really long time depending on the speed of your computer and uh, the connection you're using. Mm-hmm. Like if you were using FireWire, that's that's pretty fast. Yeah. If you're using USB 2.0, it's not as fast. Well, it depends on the FireWire. No, oh, that's true. I'm talking about like, I'm thinking of like the most recent. Oh, uh, okay. USB 3, assuming that that ever actually gets to us in a, a real widespread way, should put USB right back up there with FireWire. Right. Um Someone's going to write they, they, in about that. Well, the thing is, they keep one-upping each other. Yeah, they do. Except I think they Firewire do. is... is kind of an also-ran at this point. I mean, yeah. I mean, Apple still really supports it, but that's about it. Not even as much as they used to. Yeah. But to, to the most recent iMacs, I, well, that's a totally different subject. I guess uh, I shouldn't even get into it. To the best of my knowledge, the more recent machines do. Actually, that that it's relevant, though, because if you're talking about hooking up another drive to your computer, like an external drive, mm-hmm. you're gonna. this is, again, something to consider. You're going to want a nice, fast data rate, and you're going to see on professional computers, uh, top-of-the-line PCs and Macs, uh, both are going to have, you know, you'll have more options like the faster FireWire and the faster USB connections, right. you know, versus you know something you might see on your consumer level or you know, for example, a netbook or something. You're probably not. It's not going to be because they're not designed for you know high end applications, they're, right? You know, right. Computing on the go. Um, so I mean, it is. It, yeah, it is relevant, but. Um, yeah, as far as I know, the, uh, the Apple still includes the uh, higher higher speed one port, I think, on the the uh, the iMac and probably a couple on the Power Max. But um, anyway, 
That's right. not what they call them now. Um, the Mac Pros. There we go. Uh, anyway, someone write in about I, that. I wouldn't know. I'm a, I've got an anti-Mac bias. Yes, yes. We've been told. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, uh, it might be a good time to talk about some of the drawbacks of hard drives because, you know, over time they become smaller. They become more efficient. They, they're they can be run at faster speeds. Um, when you say smaller, you mean smaller physically. physically. Smaller. So but you they can run can them in. hold more data. Well, yes. Yeah. They can hold more data. Yeah. But um, I just want to make sure we clarified smaller. But um, well, let's take a, another a- Apple product into uh, to perspective. I have a 4G black and white iPod, which has a, a hard drive in it. And you mm-hmm. can hear it when you, you play a song. It spins up and starts accessing the information on there, so they can tell me what tracks are available, and I can I can listen to a song. But Apple has moved away from physical hard drives because of their limitations. Like, for example, if you drop one on the ground and it is still spinning, it will likely start to click because it is a very easy way to cause a head crash. Right. Um, you know, and they're they're not the most durable things in the world. Yeah, they're not necessarily the kind of device you would want to use if you were like, for example, the iPod's a good a good uh, choice. Uh, let's say you want to do lots of exercise, running yeah. and stuff. Um, well, if you've got a device that has moving parts in it, mm-hmm. then the the jitter that it uh, suffers as you run up and down your street or whatever, um, or being chased by uh, vagabonds, as is often the case with me. Yeah. Um, I have a. I live in a vagabond-heavy part of town. I, I, I moved from Thug Central to Vagabondville, and it's actually been an improvement in my lifestyle, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Hobos love Jonathan. Yeah, you know, I do live right across the street from train tracks. So... That's true. Um, I'm hoping Hodgman's listening to this. Hobo Love. That's going to be the name of my first record album. So at any rate, <laughs> you've got this. If you have moving parts in the device as you're jogging around, then right. clearly then those those moving parts could suffer as a result. And then you could end up have shortening the life of your device. To get away from that, you would want to choose some sort of memory format that did not have moving parts. And we'll get into that in just a minute because, you know, we want to dedicate a good amount of time to solid state. But let's keep talking about the... Um, I was the, afraid I was segueing too early. Yeah, well, well, I was just going to say that we already brought up the magnet thing. Right, right. But also just the fact that it has moving parts. Yes. You know, it, it has a motor. There's a motor that turns those platters uh, and the, the arm as well. Um, motors can break down. Motors can overheat. Uh, whenever you have the moving parts, there are certain dangers that are going to come with that. And for most hard drives, those dangers are going to be something that you'd see after prolonged use. Right. Like So older computers are more prone to hardware failure than, than computers that are fresh off the line, assuming that you're not buying a lemon. Yes. And, and hard drives... Or, you know, I, I'm sure a, a computer engineer will tell you. Um, well, someone had told me once that uh, a hard drive often fails either very early in its life cycle, when we would assume at that point that it's a lemon, or you know, a couple years down the road. Probably a couple is oversimplification here, but I mean, it, it's it's not like it's immune from failure. You know, right. something where you really need to back up your hard drive often because there is a possibility that something will fail. A mechanical engineer will tell you, as my father, who was a mechanical engineer, often told me, the more moving parts you have, the increased likelihood that something eventually will break. Right, because you have more points of failure. Exactly. So, yeah, so um, that's that's logical. So that kind of explains sort of the move to the solid-state drives. Yes, Now, which, you know... 
again, iPods and Zunes and I think just about everybody who has something like that now all use flash memory of some sort. Yeah, and lots of netbooks are using it. Not all, but lots of them are. Lots of them. And and you're starting to see it in other things like laptops as well. Uh, solid state is has got a few advantages. Uh, it's it doesn't it doesn't store data uh, magnetically. For no. one thing, it, it it's all about controlling the flow of electrons, whether gates are opened or closed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the electronically erasable, programmable, read-only memory aspect of it. Or EEPROM. Yes. Yeah. I was like, wh- what? <laughs> um, yeah, and it has two different kinds of gates. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the the information is laid out. Think of the information on a, a flash drive. So we're talking about like the USB drives, yes. or say the the chips that you put into a video game controller to store saved games. Um, yes, there or are lots of, into a camera. Yeah, cameras, the the SD cards, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have a series of transistors, and they're laid out on a grid, and you've got. Uh, uh, Floating gates and control gates, and these essentially control whether or not electrons pass through that grid. Mm-hmm. And that's what determines whether the data on that uh, in that section of the drive is a one or a zero. Right. And because, again, all information in computers ultimately is stored as a series of ones and zeros. One. <laughs> that would be yes. Um, and then... Uh, uh, You've got uh, so the let's see if, if I can remember how the rows and, and columns go. I know that the uh, the the row is the word line, and I think the column is the bit line. Is that right? Um, <laughs> you don't know. I don't know right off the top of my head. Okay, so um, uh, yeah. At I'll any look rate, and see if I have that in my notes. It's been a long time since I've actually written about uh, uh, solid state drives, and unfortunately, I've been concentrating on other things. Yes, but at any the, rate, uh, the floating gates link to the row. The row is the word line. Yeah. It's through the control gate. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So, uh, again, controlling the flow of electrons for, right. for bits. Now, the nice thing about solid-state electronics is that they can be even smaller than the smallest um, physical hard drives. You don't have right. to have a motor. So that takes up less space right there. Um, they're very, very portable. Uh, and... They can hold a surprisingly large amount of information. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember back when you would get a USB uh, drive, and it might, or a, a little thumb drive, a little flash drive, right? And it would be maybe 128 uh, megs. Yeah. And now, you know, it's no big deal. Like if when I go to conferences, a lot of these companies will put their press material onto a USB drive, as opposed to giving you a six pounds of of uh, uh, paper. Yes. Right. And in these these cases, I get four gigabyte or larger USB drives on occasion. Most are around two, but you know they they get bigger than that easily. Um, so it's actually really really impressive. And they don't since they don't have the moving parts, so you don't have the same risk of failure as you do with a uh, uh, a physical hard drive like the the platter hard drive. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both physical. I don't know why I use that word. So please don't write in. I know they're both physical. Uh, mechanical, I guess I should say, because it has a okay. motor function. The downside is that solid-state electronics tend to be much more expensive. Yes. So as you get to the higher uh, capacity drives, you start reaching uh, a price point that is much greater than if you were to get a comparative uh, platter system. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's the biggest drawback, I think, with the solid state versus platter. Another drawback that I've read about is that flash memory can only be written to a, a finite number of times. Mm. Eventually, it will wear out. Um, so they're not immune from failure either. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it would avoid exposing them to, you know, fire, water, magnets. You know, I know they're not magnetic, but I don't think it's probably a good idea to stick a, you know, 12-pound test magnet next to it. Of course, I have an aversion to 12-pound test mag- magnets because I had a bad experience with one as a child. Yeah. Were vagabonds involved? No, Your no vagabonds. Your was so different from but there, mine. But there was a bear. Oh, Wow. A bear and a wow! That's was, a story I need to hear. It was a uh, it was a grizzly encounter. Let's just say that. Nice. Um, I also just just to go back just a touch. Sure. I was right about the bit line. <laughs> I had to go through my notes and I found it. So word line, yeah, word lines the rows and bit lines are the columns. Okay. Um, so that's the grid on on the flash memory. Uh, so and, yeah, I mean, the, and the data there is is not stored in. The same way, again, since you were talking about uh, electron gates as opposed to mm-hmm. magnetic. So it's not like it's spread out throughout the drive the same way that it is on hard disks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting – and that that's all, might also be why when you're accessing stuff from like a flash-based uh, memory system, it seems to pop up much faster. Mm-hmm. It's because it's not having to search multiple locations within the drive to find all the bits of that file. Well um- – yeah, it's just it's it's nice to see it coming down in price because I think it will become more common in computers. But uh, like I said, don't assume that your information is completely safe. It's always a good idea to back everything up. Yeah, yeah. Whether you're using another uh, platter system hard drive to do it, or a flash-based system, or you're storing to the cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're storing to the cloud, then you don't know what kind of system ultimately is going to be holding that data. Nor do you know exactly where it is unless right. you control the other end of that. But there is a physical system somewhere holding it. Yes. It's, it's, not like, it's not like it's literally floating in the web and is just kind of free roaming until you access it. It's not quite true. It actually is sitting on someone's machine somewhere. That's right. Blinking yep. ominously in the night. Yep. Well, that uh, wraps up this discussion about hard drives. I thought perhaps uh, we should address something that came to us from a little listener mail. And Chris, I think you have this. Yes, yes. Um, this happened while uh, Jonathan was out on vacation. We had just recorded the uh, iPhone 4 podcast that everybody had been emailing us about. And uh, I made a misstatement. And uh, Stephen wrote in to correct me. Thank you very much, Stephen, because uh, as he wrote... The Nexus One is only GSM with different 3G frequencies for AT&T and T-Mobile. Please correct. And the name of his his subject line was angry yelling. So I'm assuming he was speaking to me in angry voice. Yeah, it was probably doing voice to text, and it's amazing it didn't all come out in all caps. (laughs) Well, as it turns out, he was absolutely right. The last time I had looked at Google's Nexus One page, they were still planning a version uh, for Verizon. A spring launch, yeah. Yes. Spring 2010. Yes. And uh, you know what? I hadn't been back to the page in quite some time, and he's absolutely right. They have shelved those plans. Yeah, because the Droid came out, and that ended up 
Verizon decided that they would uh, just back the Droid line and various other Android phones, and they would not carry the Nexus One line. Yes. So thank you very much, Stephen, for calling me out on that because uh, I was absolutely incorrect. And clearly I was not paying attention being the Android fanboy on this podcast. Yes. He would have thrown something at me if he had been yeah. watching. I was, I was probably looking at my notes trying to find word line versus zip line. <laughs> Entirely possible. At any rate, uh, thanks again. If any of you have any comments, criticism, corrections, requests. You just want to tell us that we're doing an awesome job. You can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle. And you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.